and I look up, I'm at Vodafone. I'm like, I'm not talking for Vodafone today. I was at the wrong talk. And I was like, I'm meant to be doing Future with Media. And the guy was like, I thought you weren't talking today. Took the mic off and I had to go over the road to like this other talk. I was in the wrong building, everything. And I was like, imagine if they'd been like, so just about the development of 5G, like what do you think? Like, it was so embarrassing. What is up, Media Industry Watchers? It's Omar Oaks, editor of The Media Leader. That voice you heard was England footballer Jill Scott. During an episode of ITV's I'm a Celebrity, get me out of here on Wednesday evening this week. Name check the future of media. Our flagship event was immediately beamed out to millions of viewers around the UK and caused my boss Steve Scafardi's phone to go into meltdown shortly afterwards. I think everyone was sending him messages to the effect of, Steve, have I been dreaming or did Jill Scott just talk about the future of media and I'm a celeb? Yes, you weren't dreaming, she did. So this podcast episode is that very appearance. Jill Scott spoke to our good friend, Jordan Jarrett Bryan, who you probably know from his work as a sports reporter on TalkSport and Channel 4 News. They spoke at the Future of Media in October. Jill and Jordan spoke about her experience of dealing with the media as a women's footballer, how media attitudes to women's football have changed, and how far away the women's game is now with being seen as an attractive area for brands to invest in advertising and sponsorship. So now I bring you Jill Scott and first Jordan Jarrett Bryan. This is about the future of media here today. I've been covering in my my job the last two Women's Euros, the last two Women's World Cups. But from when you started playing football to what's happened and the, the, the madness around you winning the Euros this summer, what's the journey been like from you as an athlete from the media's perspective? What have you, how have you seen it grown from when you started to now? Yeah, it's been worlds apart, really. In, in 2007, I got picked for my first World Cup, so I was lucky enough to go on and, and play in world, four World Cups, so kind of the years defined my life, really. I, can, I can't remember what I did yesterday, but I could tell you every tournament and the year and everything. But I remember it was on BBC. We had Martin Keown, um, Jay Humphreys. That was kind of his first gig okay. um, in the TV world, and you see what he's doing now. It's, it's incredible. And it was like this massive introduction to the game, and I thought, oh, this is good. We had 30,000 people in China, obviously all this coverage going on back home. But I think one of the big changes over the years is the tournament ended and then we went back to our 200 crowds in the WSL. Obviously, it wasn't called the WSL back then, but it was kind of the sustainability of it. And then 2009, we had the Euros, 2012, the home Olympics, and you could feel the media interest going like that but then it always died down. Mm -hmm. So it was like, we're always having to use this energy, go back to your club games, try and raise it again for the next tournament, and then it'll go back down. But I think after this tournament, the the main thing is that the media, the brands, like they seem to be staying on board with us. Obviously, success does help. We we all know that in any walk of life. If you get success, people are more interested. Um, But the biggest kind of compliment I can give to the media and and brands is we've had loads of follow-up calls for the first time ever. I was like, yes, we've got follow-up calls. And they were like, how can we help grassroots football? How can we move the game forward? They genuinely do want to help. Whereas in the past, maybe I feel like people's just jumped on the bandwagon Mm -hmm. because there's something important coming up. So yeah, that for me has has definitely been the biggest change. You've kind of answered it just then, but I've covered the last three Paralympics. It's a similar thing in that in that space. You know, leading up to the Paralympics, disability sports really popular. Afterwards, it goes again into the four-year cycle comes around again. 
How much do you think winning the Euros predicated the success and sustainability of women's football now? Do you think if you'd have lost that final, there wouldn't have been that need to follow up women's football and really the, the discussion around how do we maintain and sustain this around the girls' game? Yeah, obviously the gold medal helps, but we did say before the tournament, obviously every tournament you go in, the 10 tournaments, I was luckily, <clears throat> luckily enough to be involved in, every single one was sat there and said, we want to win it, we want to win it. Like, that's always your aim, but there's so many things you can't control in sport. I remember 2019, we didn't go through to the semi-finals because of... Ellen White's toenail, I think, at the time. So it's like them tiny little moments Mm -hmm. you can't control. So we said we want to inspire the next generation. However this tournament looks, we want people to be proud. We want to get the media, we want to get the nation behind us. And I remember Leah Williamson did an interview recently, so I won't say I've kind of pinched her from her, but I have. Um, But she said that she felt like when we were going into that final, we'd tick that box. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of like the pressure was off. We had everyone behind us. We had 90,000 at Wembley. And it was like we could just probably, for one of the first times this tournament, use our energy just to play football. Mm -hmm. We didn't have to go out there and go, oh, there's a pressure on winning the quarters, winning the semis, because then we'll get 11, 12 million watching the next game. Mm -hmm. Then we're going to inspire the next generation. It was like we can just play and then look what happened when we could do that. Indeed. And to the people in the room here, do you think there's there's a need to differentiate between how the women's game is marketed in comparison to the men's? Or do you think, do you see them as the same game and therefore the approach to market them should be the same? Or are there slight differences in how you would like to see the women's game marketed? I think as the years have gone on, they've started to do it more kind of like similar, which has been better because we don't want to be seen as like women's football, men's football. Mm. And I think what was difficult for the media was they had to kind of introduce the players to kind of the public over the years because people didn't know. Obviously, you probably don't have to do that with the men's team because there's so many, so much interest around them and everything else. So I've seen so much stuff in the media about how we started, going back to our grassroots clubs, uh, what's the family like, what's, what's the personal life like. But I think recently they have started to do it the same. There was some dead powerful campaigns. I remember the Hope United campaign where they spoke about what women might go through compared to men. There was some of the players were doing like night feeds with babies and they spoke about periods and stuff like that, which it's so important to talk about because you've got young girls that might go through them experiences and they're like, what's happening and and stuff like that. So I think now that we've reached this point, I think similar campaigns, I know that Hope United, they had um, players from the men's team and the women's team that formed one Mm -hmm. team. And it's like, yeah, why why not? Obviously, I know we can't take to the field and play together, but in terms of the media and stuff like that, there's no kind of um, differences in that sense. It's just physicality differences. So I really like them, um, them campaigns. And I did something with Harry Redknapp last week and he did something for Heineken um, and he revealed a T-shirt where it said, I'm the 12th woman. And that's just so powerful because Harry Redknapp is such a respected figure in the male game. Uh, look at what he's achieved and having him on board, I think it just does make such a difference. Indeed. Give us some examples of over your career where you've had bad experiences with the media. It could be you personally or things that you've seen in the women's game where you've thought the media have not treated your games, your, 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 your teammates, with the respect that you maybe feel that it deserved? Um, I think sometimes when they maybe try and look at like personal life stories and stuff like that, but a story's a story, isn't it? I think, I know for me, I'm, I'm quite open on my social media. And um, so it's almost like, well, if you want to do a story, I've kind of already did it, yeah, so yeah. it's fine. But 
yeah, had a few moments. I remember when there was a, a lot of talk about the England team in 2015. There was a, a lot going on with certain players and I thought I was going to one event doing a Q&A and I stepped off the stage and was just ambushed by cameras and asking us questions. And I remember at the time we were like, if we get confronted about certain issues, just to kind of reply no comment. And it was like, in that moment, I feel like no matter what we'd said, it was like the England team have been shushed and not allowed to speak. Mm. Whereas if I'd spoke, I felt like whatever I was going to say was going to get criticised. But yeah. it's kind of, people say there's there's no press that, that bad press isn't bad press. Um, and at least you're getting yourself out there. And I think in the past, the women's games always done that. It's like no press is bad press. But I think we're at the point now where it is bad press if it's not given our sport the respect it's needed. We've got this success. We've been through the hardship. We've been through breaking down the barriers and everything else. I think now it's about treating us the same. And <clears throat> that goes from the players as well. I've had plenty of conversations where they don't want our game to be on TV or in the papers and go, oh, well, it was the right idea. It was the right idea. We'll sit there as a team and go, no, it was a, it was a shit pass. Say it. If you're going to say it about the men, say it about us. And we are willing to take that criticism because... That's it, isn't it? Pressure is a privilege, really. We're out there playing in front of millions of people and we know that our performances will be criticised, but at the same time, give us the plaudits where it's deserved as well. And conversely, where have the media and advertisers got it right over your career? <clears throat> where, where have you seen examples of where you thought they'd, they've done that correctly? Uh, loads of times, really. I think going into this Euros, I really felt like we had the media behind us. I think for one of the, the first times we, we felt like the media were backing us, it was all positive. And it's crazy to think really, you do all that running training, the technical sessions, the tactical sessions, but a lot of it is in your head and how you feel, just like any job really. If, if you're feeling good, you'll perform better. And the media, I feel like this tournament, I do, obviously it's hard to comment because it didn't happen, but I feel like even if we'd lost a game, I felt like we still had the back end. They really wanted us to do well. They were, they were putting out great campaigns. They were coming and speaking to us, doing different stories. So yeah, it's not, not all bad stuff. There's been some really good stuff in the media. Um, and that was probably a good example. I think fans, media, you really made our jobs easier this summer. They really did. There wasn't that outside pressure. Um, there was loads of powerful images with like young girls just being dead and young boys being dead happy at the games. Yeah. And I think that was just so powerful. And the amount of dads I've had come up to us saying, oh, my young girl was so inspired. Uh, can I get a picture? And then I realised you haven't got daughters, but no. <laughs> like, it's fine. <laughs> it's fine, you can have a picture. But, but them, them, are, them are the moments, really. And, and that's what makes it important. So if you want to pretend you've got a daughter, I'm, I'm fine for pictures after. <laughs> if I'm not in Vodafone next door. <laughs> Indeed. Um, many of us would have seen you, um, how do I put this, saying something less than polite to one of your German counterparts. <laughs> during the final um, uh, at Wembley. And that's obviously got that went viral. When you look back on that now, it's a two part question. Do, do you actually kind of slightly cringe and think, I don't like the media is almost making that what they're gonna know me for? Or do you think actually there's an opportunity there to market yourself with that in a really savvy way? 
Well, yeah, I can answer this question a few ways. So hmm. first and foremost, I'm definitely not proud of it. I, I am the person, I've, I've got nephews and nieces and if they ever swear, I'll give them a little clip around it. I hate swearing, I hate it. And literally just outside of my house, we also have like a park. And if there's ever kids swearing, I actually put my head out the window and go, stop swearing. <laughs> and one kid the other day was like, well, you can talk, Jill. <laughs> and I was like, great. But I think, yeah, I think that could have gone one or two ways for me. To be honest, when I step over that white line, I am a totally different person. I'm so passionate. Um, I know I've got a referee to protect us, so I suddenly become a little bit hard and think I can like <laughs> fight everyone. But I wanted to win so bad. And I think that moment, if we hadn't have won, I think it could have gone totally the other way for mm -hmm. me in terms of she's meant to be a role model and everything else. Look at our language. And, and rightfully so, you are a role model at all times. Um, it was just, when I think about the way that they captured that moment in slow motion <laughs> yeah. in front of like 50 million people or something. But in terms of marketing, they sent my grandma a, a mug which says F-O-Y-F-P, thank God. That. And she doesn't know what the abbreviation means. <laughs> so I'm like, she's 88 on her oxygen, sitting there drinking her tea. And I'm like, this is not a very proud yeah. moment, Jill. So I think I need to make up an abbreviation what it stands for. But yeah, they've sent T-shirts and and everything but I haven't really like thrown like fuel to what or anything if you looked on my social media I haven't put it on like I'm I'm not proud of it um but I feel like me and the girl are okay now because Georgia Stanway went on to sign for Bayern Munich after the Euro she was brave she got up on her initiation and sang Sweet Caroline I saw that. <laughs> to, literally, to literally like half of the Germany team um but they must have been on a night out recently and the girl sent us a, a message at first I was like who's that look different when you play football but um, she was just like Jill I want to wish you all the best on your retirement F off you <laughs> so, so I, th I think that means we're okay I think it means we're okay but, but it does go to show I suppose a story is a story like take that moment in isolation it happened but how it was portrayed was because of the success around it it kind of got thrown into like a good life she's passionate look at her she wants to win if we hadn't have won the same thing happened, but it's surrounded by something different. Sorry. Oh, she's a bad role model. Yeah. Look at our language. She's a true Macam probably would have come out. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's interesting, really. It is interesting and probably a lot of lessons to be learned of sometimes when you do see a story in the paper or the news, like how it's like put out to us might not be the true reality of it. But from me, I, I was just overly passionate. Um, the men's game is clearly more evolved than the women's game for reasons that we know. It was banned, the women's game, for, for 50, 55 years. But considering you guys have won a major tournament now, how far do you think, in terms of marketers and brands, how far away do you think the women's game is to getting equality and equity with the men's game? Is that, is that gap slowly closing? Yeah, it's definitely, no, it's definitely getting closer. I agree with that, especially before this tournament. I felt like we did a lot of stuff with the men's team. And it's hard because, you know what, the guy, I feel like it's always the men versus the women. Um, but the guys are so supportive. Like we spent some time with them before the Euros and Gareth Southgate's really got a good group of guys. Declan Rice, Kevin Trippier, John Henderson, Connor Cody. Like they'd come, they'd sit, have a coffee. Can I get you anything? They came and they asked if they could come and speak to us about the pressures of playing in a home Euros. And so it, it was really nice of them. And without the men's game, like that was my role models, yeah. uh, David Beckham, Frank Lampard, Stephen Gerrard, like they were who I looked up to and were who got me into football. Whereas now there is female role models, which is great. But yeah, going back to your question, I think 
I was always like, yeah, you can talk about equal pay and stuff like that. Their game's been going for longer, the crowds they get, the shirt sales, the TV, all that stuff. But one thing for me that is controllable is if I'm turning up with Declan Rice to do something for a brand or an advert or something like that, I don't think there should be any disparity because we're both turning up doing the same job, male, female. So in that sense, I think that is a controllable, but it's definitely got a lot better, definitely. Like in the past, it wasn't. You know, you would be turning up and they would be getting X, Y and Z and you wouldn't. But I think definitely now I do feel like the brand's working with you. They, they do treat you the same. As soon as you turn up, it's it's the same rules. We're always on time, to be fair. They are always late. <laughs> they are always um, late. To be fair, are, it's true. They are always that. late. We are always on time. And that's coming from me, who's always <laughs> late as well. Um, so, yeah, in, in answer to your question, I, I do think it's getting a lot better. I do. It was a huge moment leading up to the Euros to see Leah Williamson on the Piccadilly Circus um, electronic boards doing an advert. I think it was Pepsi. Yeah. She was doing a, I thought that was really, really significant that the, leading up to the tournament, they'd gone big, Pepsi, on yeah. really promoting the captain and really showing that there's value in promoting women's football and women footballers. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So I, I thought that was really, really interesting. And, yeah, and, and we stayed at um, Deansgate, the Hilton in Manchester. And I remember the first day we went out for a walk in prep camp and there was Demi Stokes was on a massive billboard on the and Lucy Bronze on the Hope United mm. campaign. And then me and Leah walked up the street. I wanted a bag of crisps, I think. She's on the packet of the crisps. And then Nikita Paris is on the can of Pepsi. And it was just, we were only walking for five minutes and it was just everywhere. I think I was on the radio stations, but um, yeah, I didn't get my face on any brands. But no, it was brilliant. Like it was so good to see we'd walk past um, just the bush, the bus stop and Leah was on it again. And we were just taking pictures and it was it was so cool to see. And that's what I mean. The media and brands really created that buzz that then give us that kind of extra life and extra energy when we went out onto the pitch. Um, my final one before I open up to the floor here. Yeah. Um, what would your advice and what would your plea be to brands, agencies, advertisers, the media for the next five years now to ensure that not only they do their bit to sustain the success that you guys have, have created this summer, but build upon that? And what can they now do to, to better um, the industry and, and the women's game? I think the biggest one for me is probably genuine connections, I think. So you can connect anything, can't you? Like a bathroom store could be like, oh, well, the lionesses lose, use a toilet. Let's, <laughs> <coughs> let's get a, a campaign going of something. But I think that genuine connection. Someone who's writing that down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Someone's, someone's writing that down. down. I'll take 50%. <laughs> um, but I think with the... I did something for Stalin and, and their owner is, is a female who had to break down a lot of barriers in a male-dominated industry. Um, and I think that was a great connection, obviously going into women's football, which was doing the same thing. So I think it's finding a genuine connection and don't just jump on board because you want the billboards and you want the, the brand all over things because it's going to be a home Euros or it's going to be a home Olympics mm -hmm. back in 2012. Mm -hmm. Stay on board and how can you make it better and how can you get them stories across that have a genuine connection? So, yeah, for me, that would be the kind of the biggest word, really. Don't just use us as a a kind of a tool where you can get your brand out there, you can get your media out there. How can you sustain it? How can you make it better for the younger players coming through the bottom of the pyramid? We only have the strength at the top mm -hmm. because of the strength of the bottom mm -hmm. of the pyramid. So keep investing, keep helping. Um, and yeah, and if people don't want to get involved, that's, that's fine as well. I think we'd rather have genuine, genuine mm -hmm. people, genuine brands 
getting involved for the long run, really, not not just the short run. I hear that. Um, any questions from the audience? Yes, we've got a gentleman. <laughs> wow, that was quick. <laughs> There's a mic coming your way. Just... <clears throat> Sorry, I know I was quick there. Um, I'm going to pick up on your very last statement about the bottom of the pyramid, because yeah. I think, for me, I think the Lionesses and you guys working with the brands can actually have a really true effect, which I don't think the men really have um, on the grassroots side. I, I've coached grassroots like probably a lot of people in here for the last 20 years, and you constantly turn your hair out at the FA's lack of funding. But you're in a brilliant position right now to be able to change that, because rightly so, the women's game is progressing, and so are the young ladies that are progressing. I only look at my club and the amount of teams that, that we've got for girls, but the amount of pitches stay the same. Yeah. The amount of investment stays the same. But you can work with the brands right now and actually change that and actually say to the brands, no, we're going to do this. That's what I would personally like to see. Yeah. And that that is a stronger legacy than actually winning the Euros. Yeah, and them are conversations that are ongoing. I've had some really good conversations with um, Stalin Bank about... Because that is the thing with the more interest and stuff like that, you have to be able to facilitate them. You have to be able to have a safe space for these young girls, young boys to play football, first and foremost. And I know I've had some conversations um, just about, I think, where we're each getting a, a pitch, like the Lionesses are each getting a football pitch. And it's like, right, I do soccer camps. How can I run that soccer camp for free by using this pitch that you've provided and just giving girls opportunity to play. Some might try it and they might not like it, but I think opportunity is that word. Everybody needs to have equal opportunity. So I do hear what you're saying and, and there is conversations that can guarantee you going on because we do understand that that is the part that needs to be better and needs to be stronger. There's no point saying, come on, girls, come and play. Right, there's nowhere for you to play. Like, we need to make sure that we can facilitate it. So, yeah, it's, it's a great point as well. And just touching on when you said about the brands and players working with the brands, I do want to ensure people that when we're having coffees and stuff like that, the girls will sit down and, and they won't just do a campaign because they're going to get offered X, Y or Z amount of money. It's like if, for example, it's a, a coaching one, I would put myself forward and say, look, I've coached for many years. I feel like I can give the brand a good experience um, if it was, say, you want someone to speak correctly, probably put Leah Williamson there, who's going who's gonna to do a good job. And so I do want to ensure you that, that people, we are trying to find the right person for that as well, because we're not just about taking money. We never have been. It's, it's never been about money. I, I didn't become a full-time professional till I was 26. Obviously, these opportunities are great now. So we want to make sure that we can make that the best experience for everyone. So... I hope that gives you a little bit clarity that we are working hard behind the scenes as well with the FA as well. Yeah. Look at the question on the left and the question on the right. Well, thanks. Um, similar to the last point, I, and I'm not going to apologise for my bias at all, I'm a massive Arsenal fan. <laughs> Good man. And we're top of both leagues, men's and women's senior team at the moment. And... You know, I've been an Arsenal fan since I was able to kick a ball, but ha I've realised that I've had much more of a focus on the men's game. Um, I used to know about, you know, Rachel Yankee, Kelly Smith coming up, and the women's team has actually been way better over the last 15 years in terms of winning stuff. But I only went to my first women's game this season, North London Derby, highest attendance in WSL history. And I also was at the Wembley Lionesses versus USA game. Yeah. 
Do you think the clubs should be doing more with the likes of the people in this room? I have a bias with Arsenal, obviously, to connect those people who are obviously fans of their men's teams with the women's team. I think Jordan touched on marketing across both and how, you know, it's not about you do that, you do that. But I always feel like the club can do a bit more with marketers to ensure that, you know, we should be getting people to the stadiums, both stadiums. We should be more aware of the games that are going on in, in the WSL as well as the Prem. Yeah, definitely. And I think that was one of our messages post-tournament. Straight away, we were like, if you've enjoyed watching the Lionesses this summer, go to your local games, support it. And obviously, there was 50,000 at that WSL game, which was brilliant. But we also don't want that to be like one-offs. So I was at Manchester City for seven, eight years, and I think I played at the Etihad twice. And that game, the, the Derby game, it was absolutely fantastic. I think we had 35,000 then. It really sticks in my mind. But why can't we play at the stadiums more? And people automatically go to the men's stadiums. Well, it's not the men's stadiums, it's the main stadium. And like, why can't the female teams get in as well? So obviously we know it's not going to be a case of suddenly we've won the Euros now every single week, go and watch Manchester City women at the Etihad. We, we know that. Like anything in business, if you suddenly go from here to here, you do leave this room where you can just drop all the way back down. So I think what's good about the women's game is we have to just keep building steadily because otherwise you're going to get the likes of Arsenal, Chelsea, Man City, Man United, who are kind of going away from the rest of them because they're not getting the support that's needed. So I do think it's about just building them blocks steadily. That really makes us smile that you went to the North London derby, followed your local team, then went on to Wembley and hopefully... We, had we a won 4-0, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully had a great experience. But that's what we need to do. We need to, if people are complaining, you need to go out there and, and do something about it. So I do think we're going in the right direction. I remember speaking to someone at Arsenal and they said they had a couple of games penciled in at the Emirates. And I think now that's increased by... 50%, 60%, even more than that, I think. So, yeah, it's, it's pleasing, but you are right, we need to... There's been some great campaigns over the years, so I remember signing for Man City 2013, and from day one, I remember I was doing interviews and I was going, it's amazing, we'll get our kit washed, I'd, I wake up and I've got <laughs> breakfast, and they, they pulled us to one side and said, Jill, you have to stop doing these interviews because you've, it's got to be equal, like, we want to treat you equal. And the whole motto was one team together, and they really did, to be honest, start a bridge that gap. And I'm not just saying it because I was at Manchester City, but I do think we kind of led the way in that. So as soon as one team does it, obviously you need the, the financial support and everything else, but it sets the standard then. And then everybody, everyone's competitive in sport anyway. They want to get one over, but that's fine because then we'll keep building. So I think as long as we keep doing that, but steadily, because... Sometimes it's good to say, what's next, what's next, what's next? In business, in anything, in life, you get a car. A couple of years later, you're pleased with your car, but you want a better one, you want a better one. But sometimes it's nice just to pause and say, look, would we have been happy where we are now 10 years ago, considering where we were? And the answer will probably be yes. So I think it's just about building it steadily. Sorry, I'm just going off on one. No, no, I love it. Just before we get to our final question in the audience there, um, can I just ask you, because I should be held accountable as well. I'm part of the media. What can we do? to ensure that we do our bit, to ensure that the game is, is growing. I mean, TalkSport, where I work, they covered, they've covered lots of games post the Euro final. BBC, of the, the, they had the Women's America versus England game last weekend. Yeah. What do we need to be doing for the next five years in the future in media to, to show that we're doing our bit? 
I think it's just everybody taking kind of accountability, really. So I, I remember speaking to people because we had the 1972 legends came to Wembley and I was chatting to people and they had some massive crowds for the games going back all them years. Um, and I remember speaking to them and they were saying that the games got advertised. Like we knew about it ages before, like say a month before. And then when I thought about it, obviously it's no good now because I finished. But I was like on a Friday, I'd put on or oh, get yourself down to our game on a Sunday. But no, my sister who's got kids, your weekends are probably planned for the next two, three, four weeks. If, if I asked you what you had at the end of November, you might say, oh, little Tommy's got a game on Sunday. Mm. Isabel's got a game on Saturday like people know so I think we need to put the games out there earlier so that people can then put it in as a plan and then families can work around it because families have a lot of commitments and yeah it was great when we got the games on Sky we did a lot of work around it and it was brilliant but then the games were like 11 o'clock kickoff on a Saturday morning mm. when all the grassroots football games are going on. I'm eating a bowl of pasta at seven o'clock thinking, God, I'm going to be sick. I'm <laughs> like, yeah, this was great. That Sky <laughs> took the games on, but not right in this moment. And then Sunday at half six at night. And I'm like, people want to get the kids home for bed because uh, I've got school the next day. So it's, that's what I mean about, yeah, it's good. We've got Sky right now. What's next? Let's change the kickoff times. Can we get it out in the media a little bit earlier? Mm -hmm. Do you do little deals and mm -hmm. stuff like that? Come to three games in December, see it now. You'll get this special price or, or whatever. So it's not trying to dilute the actual brand. Like we don't want to give away free tickets because then it, I feel like it's diluting mm -hmm. it then. But yeah, maybe just talking about it a little bit more. And then sure. as I say, for players as well, not putting it on your social media on a Friday when you've got a game on a Saturday or a Sunday. No. There's one more quick one before we wrap, please. Um, were there times where you just thought, what, why am I doing this? You know, when you, you spoke about the lack of respect for the game when you were growing up, were, were there times with the younger Jill Scott where you just thought, I'm, what's the point? I think, you know what, in answer, when you're asking us that question straight away, no, but it was difficult when I was, <clears throat> when I was nine, 10, if there's people roughly around my age, you didn't have like three cars to a household. My mum didn't even know where I was going on a weekend. I just used to walk to the top of the street, get picked up, go to football. And I, I used to get parents saying, break that girl's legs and stuff like that. And I'd be in tears, like literally in tears, because I was the only girl playing with boys. And if you were beating their son, they, they didn't like it. But the one thing is, the one thing is I used to always, I used to come home, home was my safe space. I didn't get asked about football, which was also quite refreshing. I could just go do my thing, come back. And I always wanted to go back to football on a Tuesday and a Thursday. And I think it was just in us to, to play. And I almost think maybe it was third child syndrome, but I'd go to my mum like, I want to be a footballer when I'm older. And she's probably thinking, well, it doesn't even exist. But I think she was like, just, do what you want the other two were doing all right so you do <laughs> you just do what you want so she she had a conversation with us recently my mom actually and she said um she said i kind of feel bad that i should have done more stuff with you you know like days out trips out and i said mom you supported me so much by just letting us be me letting us dream of this job that didn't exist not putting too much pressure on us and yeah so i think the pro no probably wasn't any time when i wanted to give up i just loved playing football um, and I think that's kind of the, the beauty of kind of my journey and my story is it's just down to a love of football and a lot of hard work. And I think just to end on kind of, I was always just average. I was never the best player. 
Never, but I knew I was going to outwork everybody, whether it be running the shuttles in the garden on my own. I knew I was going to put in 100% hard work. So I feel like my story hopefully can show young people, older people that you might not be the best in the room, but if you're willing to work the hardest, then anything is possible. Yeah. Well done, thank you. Um, Thanks again for listening to the Media Leader podcast. And there's more of where that came from on our website. The-media-leader.com is our website. You can sign up to our daily newsletter in the UK and weekly roundup of media in the US. You can also find us on YouTube where we are posting video interviews and clips from our live events, our LinkedIn page where people like to comment on the things that we're posting and Twitter where all our stuff is pretty much pumped out like a beautiful fountain of media industry content. That's it. Catch you next time. Bye-bye.